The scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. You can find it in your worship guide or you can follow along in your Bible. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Well, good morning. We are in a six-week series looking at the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And Paul, though never visiting the Christians in Colossae, wrote the letter after Epaphras reported to him that a group of false teachers had come in to the church and were infiltrating the church there. And among many things that they were teaching, one of the things they were teaching was that Jesus Christ was only one of many gods. The first week, Daniel, preaching through chapter 1, showed how Paul refuted this claim by proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ is supreme over creation. Jesus Christ is supreme over the new creation, the church. And Jesus Christ is supreme over new creations, all those who profess faith in Jesus. And then last week, Jim continued on into chapter 2, naming some of the results of Christ being supreme. And then he talked about what hinders us from believing Christ is supreme. And then he showed us that through communion with Jesus and community, we were reminded that Christ is supreme. Now this morning, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. And in these verses, Paul does two things. First, Paul warns us again about the danger of false teachers. And then secondly, Paul offers two truths to combat this philosophy. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for your word. It is true. And Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would use your word to penetrate our hearts, to guide us, to lead us, so that we might know you more fully and that we might walk in you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your bulletins, I encourage you to open them or you can open your Bibles to Colossians 2. And the first thing that Paul teaches us in this passage, he warns us again about the danger being posed by false teachers. 
I don't know about you, but I have a fob for my car, and last week I accidentally hit the alarm button on the car. Have you ever done that? And when you do it, what happens is the lights start flashing, and then the alarm, the horn starts blaring, the alarm starts going off, and everyone in the parking lot is looking at me and my car. And I have a moment of anxiety and panic, wondering what in the world has gone on. And then I realize that I've hit the alarm. So you hit the button and it goes off. Well, interestingly, Paul in chapter 2 of Colossians, he doesn't accidentally hit his fob sounding an alarm. He purposely sounds it. In verse 4, as we looked at last week, he warns the Colossians, about those who were persuading them toward false teaching. And then interestingly, in verse 8, he does the same thing again. If you look in verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Paul begins this passage with an imperative. He says, see to it, which literally means beware, be on guard. He's trying to yell at the Colossians to say, watch out. And then he goes on to say that there's this philosophy. That's what he called this false teaching. And that this philosophy is not true. And in order to, to kind of sound that drum beat, he's, he gives you three negative evaluations of that philosophy. He first says that that philosophy is empty deceit, which means that their teachings are devoid of any truth. Then he says, if the fact that it is devoid of any truth is not sufficient to persuade you, you need to know that their philosophy is birthed from human tradition. And everyone knew that Paul had a deep understanding of the depravity of man. And so to say it was according to human tradition was to say it was flawed. And if those two negative evaluations weren't sufficient, Paul provides a third, telling them that the false teacher's philosophy is according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, there's some debate about what are these elemental spirits, but most scholars believe that Paul here is talking about evil spiritual powers of the world. Paul is saying that their philosophy is born out of evil spirits. Therefore, their philosophy is evil in and of itself. And then he concludes by saying that their philosophy isn't according to to Christ. So we see in this passage, Paul is sounding the alarm yet again. He's warning them against this philosophy and the false teachers. And as I've been thinking about this and looking at this passage this week, I couldn't help but ask myself, and you might be wondering too, is why? Why would Paul, four verses after he's warned them, warn them again about the false teachers. Jim mentioned some of the reasons possibly why last week. 
our proclivity towards self-deception, our longing to please others, especially those who tend to be more persuasive and naturally gather people around them, and our tendency toward forgetfulness. And all of these are certainly the legitimate reasons that Jim mentioned. But as I've been thinking and praying about it this week, I believe that there's three more reasons why Paul sounds the alarm. And I briefly want to mention them. And the first is, I believe that Paul warns them again about the false teaching because false teaching is often very subtle and yet extremely, extremely dangerous. Daniel and Jim both mentioned in the last weeks that we don't exactly know the depth of the philosophy. Yes, we know that they were teaching that Jesus was just one of many gods. But we don't know all of what they were teaching. And I believe it's hard to fight an enemy when you don't know who the enemy is and what the enemy is saying. And Paul was warning them again and warning us as a church because false teaching is very, very subtle. And it's a mixture of truths and lies that false teachers from outside and inside the church begin to teach. And before you know it, before we know it, we are moving away from the truth of the good news and we're moving toward heresy. And I was thinking about this. And over the years, <clears throat> I've been struck by how many prominent evangelical pastors in the United States who were once doctrinally sound were subtly influenced by different authors and their own personal experience in the culture which caused them to abandon fundamental tenets of the Christian faith. And what's even more scary about some of those prominent pastors is, yes, they were kicked out of their church. What did they do? They've gone and started churches in the name of Christ teaching heresy. You may know of some of them. Rob Bell is one of the most famous. And there are many others. And as I thought about the subtlety of the false teaching, and if it can happen to prominent pastors, how much more could it happen to you and to me? It's very easy for us to be influenced by lies and to be subtly shifted away from the truth. And Paul here understood that. And therefore, he warned the Colossians yet again to be on guard, to see to it that these false teachers don't take them captive. So I believe one reason that Paul warns them again is because of the subtleties of the false teaching. I believe a second reason that Paul warns them again is because he's seen the utter division and destruction that their teaching can have on the church. And he wants to protect his bride. Paul had planted many church. And we know that one particular church in Galatia, some men came in and began distorting the truth of the gospel. They were teaching the young believers that in order to be a follower of Jesus, 
you needed to profess faith in Jesus and you needed to be circumcised. And since some in Galatia were Jews, they had already been circumcised, while other Gentiles hadn't. You can imagine the tension that grew amongst the church. It was literally tearing the church apart. And Paul didn't want to see the same thing happen in Colossae. And so what did he do? He warned them yet again. And in the same way, he warns us and wants us to be on guard. Because the unity that we're experiencing now, Satan would love to destroy by causing us to believe not truth, but lies. And so one reason he warns them again is because of the subtleness of the false teachers. A second reason is because of the division and destruction that false teachers can have in the church and Paul's desire to protect his bride, Christ's bride, the church. And then thirdly, I think most importantly, Paul warns them again because for him, fidelity to Christ and the gospel was personal. You know, when we're kids, if someone talks about my brothers or someone talks about me, you know, I kind of laugh it off. But if somebody were to talk about my mom, even though she's not perfect, that's off limits. You know, she gave birth to me, right? And she gave birth, your mom's gave, not my mom, your mom's gave birth to you. And so that's personal when someone starts talking about your mom. And therefore, we get very defensive and very protective. And I believe for Paul, these false teachers teaching something that wasn't true about Jesus, it was personal to him. Because, you know, Paul wasn't always called Paul. He was named Saul. And he persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. He persecuted Christ. And then one day on the road to Damascus, Jesus, the risen Lord, came to him and said to him, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And in that moment, it got really personal for Paul. And he fell on his knees and he professed faith in Jesus. And Jesus changed his name from Saul to Paul as a symbol of that transformation. And then Jesus called him to go and to preach and to teach about him and his teachings, not only to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. And so for Paul, false teachers to come in and teach something different about his Savior, it was personal. And therefore, he got defensive. And therefore, he wanted to remind the Colossians and he wanted to remind us to be on guard, to be alert. And I have to say, as I've thought about this this week, I felt convicted. When I first became a believer, my relationship with Jesus was so rich and intimate and I was in love with him. If someone even used God's name in vain, I would be quick to correct them. If someone refuted the truth of the gospel, I'd be quick to say, no, 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 that's not true. This truth has changed my life. 
But over these years, it's not, I'm not as quick to be as defensive. It doesn't feel quite as personal when I hear the lies that are propagated by our media, by our culture, by authors about Christ and His gospel. I wonder if you were like me, that though we've been personally touched by Jesus, we find that we're not quite as defensive and protective of the gospel as we once were. And I know for me, after studying this passage this week, I've asked the Holy Spirit to to do some work in my heart. And maybe the Holy Spirit wants to do some work in your heart. Yes, we want to be sensitive. Yes, we want to be loving. Yes, we want to be winsome as we present the good news of the gospel. But at the same time, it's personal when someone speaks falsely about Christ and his truth. And so what we see in this passage first is that Paul is reminding the church in Colossae. He's reminding us, he's warning us again against the dangers of this philosophy and the false teaching. But he doesn't leave us there. Secondly, Paul offers two truths to combat this philosophy. You know, Satan is the father of lies. And the best way to defeat him and those who are propagating his lies is to speak the truth. And Paul does just that in the remaining verses. He arms the Colossians with these two truths. And the first truth that we see is that he reminds the Colossians of the truth that they are united with Christ. Daniel will talk more about this next week. But for our purposes, it's important to note that one of the things that the false teachers were teaching was that they should follow certain ascetic regulations so as to divest themselves from the encumbrances of the physical body, which they would say had a bent toward evil. They were to rise above it. But what Paul says in verses 9 through 12 is that the only stripping off of the flesh that really matters has already taken place for the Colossians through their union with Christ and his circumcision. You see, in verses 9 through 12, Paul repeats the phrase in him or with him five times. He doesn't want his readers to miss this amazing truth of our union with Christ. Because it is through our union with him that we have been given new life. It is through our union with Christ that we have died with Christ through his circumcision on the cross. Where there was not just a stripping stripping of a token part of his flesh, but a cutting off of his whole body of flesh through death. And in him, Paul says, we were baptized, which represents our burial with him. So that when Christ was raised from the dead, we too who are united with Christ will be raised. We have been given a new life and there is absolutely nothing, nothing lacking for those who are in Christ. We have been filled. Therefore, There is no need for further teachings and practicings 
and practices offered by the false philosophy. It is not Christ plus this or that. It is Christ alone. He is sufficient. The truth of our union with him combats the lies of the false teachers who are wreaking havoc in Colossae. And likewise, when the world tells us that we need to believe in this system or this philosophy in order to find enlightenment, the truth is we are united with the Supreme Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are not lacking anything. And when people rise up in our midst and say we need to have more of the Holy Spirit in order to be a true follower of Christ, the truth is our union with Christ And through our union with Christ, we have every bit of the Holy Spirit because he is a person and he cannot be divided. And he is living in us. And when people say we need to have this many quiet times a week to be a true believer, the truth is we are united with Christ. And we are sufficient in him. You see, Satan will raise up false teachers in our midst like he did in Colossae. But Paul is saying, do not be afraid, be alert, be on guard and see to it that no one takes you captive with their false philosophy by speaking the truth that you and I, if we profess faith in Christ, we are united with him. Paul writes, God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. There is no reason to look anywhere else. And this is the truth we can speak to a world that is constantly trying to get us to find fulfillment in other things, such as people, academics, sports, and a plethora of philosophies. We are new creations. The old is gone and the new is come. So the first truth that Paul gives us in this passage to combat this philosophy and false teachers Is the truth of our union with Christ. But the beautiful thing about this passage is Paul doesn't stop there. He gives us a second truth. And that second truth really should blow our minds away. I fear because it's so familiar to us that it doesn't. And that second truth is that Jesus, our supreme king, Lord and savior, gave himself up on a cross. So that you and I might have life. If you look at verses 13 through 15, Paul writes, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He mentions the uncircumcision of your flesh because he wants it to be very clear. You, both Jews and Gentiles, who were dead in your trespasses, all those things that you had done wrong in our life, that did not hold to the standard that God has set to you, both Jew and Gentile, who were dead. God made you alive together with him. Not God and us made ourselves alive, or God and this or that made ourselves alive, or God or believing in something else made ourselves alive. God and God alone has the power to save us. And he chose to do this. How? He chose to do this by sending his son, fully human and fully God, to this earth to live a perfect life. To die a death he did not deserve to die. So that on that Christ, Paul tells us, 
Our record of wrongs was pinned on that cross. And through his death, that record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands was dealt with and we were forgiven. So that through faith in him, by grace, we are now justified. We have been made right with God. That which was broken in the garden so many years ago is made right. Because Jesus Christ, the supreme God, died. And was raised from the dead. And now lives. And because of that, our lives are changed. But not only are our lives changed. Paul ends in verse 15 saying that Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, Christ is supreme over creation, over the new creation, the church, and over the new creations, all of us who profess faith in him. This is the truth. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, and he's saying to us, if we're going to combat this philosophy, the false teachings of the world, we need to stand on the truth that Jesus Christ, our supreme king, lived and died and was raised from the dead so that all who profess faith in him might have life. We need to stand on the truth of the gospel. And so the obvious question for us this morning is do we believe these two truths? Do we believe that we are united in Him? Do we believe that we have everything through our union with Him? That the Holy Spirit, all of the Holy Spirit dwells in you. The person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And do we believe that the Supreme King, Jesus Christ, came on this earth and lived a perfect life and died a death. He did not deserve to die. And He took our records of wrongs and they were pinned on the cross. And through His death and through His resurrection, we can have life. And do we believe the answer to the power of evil is not politics, It's not government. It's not money. It's not power. It is Christ who reigns supreme over our world. Do we believe he is sufficient? Paul in this passage is warning us again that false teachers are in Colossae. And he's warning us that false teachers are going to try to infiltrate Hope Chapel. And they're going to try infiltrate you individually and us corporately i was talking with someone i think it was on friday about the new building and he said to me be keenly aware as you guys make this move that satan will do everything he can to destroy you he does not want you to make this move he does not want you to grow He does not want you to seek the flourishing of this city. So be alert. We need to be aware. We need to guard our hearts and minds and the truth, the truth of the gospel 
the truth of our union with Christ, the truth that He is supreme and He died. And if others try to add to that truth or distort that truth, we need to take it personally and we need to defend that truth. And if necessary, we need to, like the the martyrs who've gone before us, to die for that truth. And the beauty is we have a powerful king who is not standing behind us. He's standing in front of us and beside us, and all around us. So that we might be a church that seeks the flourishing of the city as we proclaim the good news of the gospel. So my prayer is that as we move out and we move forward, that we will move as a church that stands on the truth of this holy word. May it be in our hearts, may it be in our minds, may it be in our experience, may it be on our tongues, may it be the truth that we preach every day to ourselves and to every person we come in contact with. Amen.